This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. This week's podcast episode is my interview on the Docpreneur Leadership Podcast with Michael Tetrout. The podcast covers healthcare insight, news, physician education, and economic analysis about a wide variety of topics in healthcare. Our interview covers the business of healthcare real estate ownership and discusses some best practices. Ability, ease of access, being located in an easy to find location for their for their patients, because that's if they can't attract patients, then they're not going to be successful. The hospital they're uh, based um, or owned uh, practices. They typically, you know, are insurance based, so you know they drive patients to them. Good morning, Docpreneur Nation. My name is Michael, and you're listening to the Docpreneur Leadership Podcast. And today we have a special guest, Trisha Talbot. She is the managing partner at Doc Properties. And Trisha is a healthcare real estate advisor who helps medical physicians, medical providers in establishing a real estate portfolio and helping them understand the strategies to get the most help and most value out of your real estate investments. Trisha, thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So before we begin, kind of give us a little bit about um, your entry into working with physicians, working in healthcare. What brought you from where you were 20 years ago to say, you know, this is an audience that's either, you know, not, they're not being served very well by the current landscape marketplace um, in real estate. How can, how did you get interested in it? Sure. I started, I was an um, in, in, in-house leasing uh, department for a medical office developer. So they um, developed, owned, and operated uh, several medical office buildings. So I uh, started working with physicians on the leasing side, and then I moved into third-party brokerage and continued uh, a lot of leasing uh, started representing them on the tenant side, and then um, started getting into investment sales. So um, then that that turned into uh, getting into investment sales for a lot of physician-owned properties, which is where I spend a lot of my time. Um, physicians that you know have owned they they own their properties or they own a an income. Uh, generating property with other tenants, but they themselves are a tenant as well, or you know they they built the built their property with a with a partnership. Um, so I, I help them. They usually come to me. Um, some of them, you know, are in better shape than others, but a lot of them come to me where um, you know they're looking at, hey, how do I, what do I, how do I position this real estate for you know my retirement. And, 
you know, what are my options? So, you know, we talk about that. Some of them, um, different partners are in different stages of their, their practice life cycle. And so some want to get out and, um, and so they, they want to sell the real estate. Um, sometimes they want to do sale leasebacks and, uh, where they're not ready to retire, but they're wanting to get the economic benefit of the real estate now. And then, you know, they find a 10 year lease and, and after 10 years, they can either renew and continue to practice or, you know, they, they just leave the building and uh, they don't have to worry about releasing it. And they've gotten rid of the, the management side of, of that. So we talk about different options based on, you know, what they're looking to do with the real estate and then kind of go from there. And it sounds as though from our pre-interview conversations, it sounds as though there's really two pathways for the physicians listening and, and leaning into this real estate and healthcare real estate discussion. If you, as a, as an audience listening, you may fall into two categories or one of two categories, or maybe even both. One is you're a physician, you own the building, you're trying to get the most amount of, you know, value and, revenue from the tenants in that building that you currently are working inside of as well with a group or a partnership or maybe just your own self and you're thinking well maybe it's time to move and I'll I'll contact someone like Trisha that can help me get the most value out of this or you fall into another category where you're a busy physician you're working in your own own owned business or owned your own owned <laughs> I'm sure there's a better way to say that um <laughs> But you're working in your own building and you also maybe have three or four other investment properties that may be either medically related or maybe not quite medically related. Maybe they're in a completely different profession. I've met doctors, as you probably have, who are in pediatrics, but they own you know buildings and, and dentists function in those buildings. Right. So um, let's, let's jump in here and, and just get right to the meat and potatoes of um, your expertise, you know, how does a clinician own medical facilities and still practice medicine? <laughs> That's a great question. I, so first they need to have a really good attorney. And I would say, uh, you know, somebody to do property accounting and, you know, I, I strongly encourage physicians to build into whatever perform performa that they're building, you know, professional management services, just because, you know, they're, typically busy, you know, with either cases or patients all day long. And if something breaks, or they need to meet, um, meet a vendor to, you know, for instance, to take a look at HVAC or the roof or something like that. Um, you know, unless they're able to schedule vendors, you know, all on like they take, I don't know, they take a day a week off just to do other business related things. And they try to schedule all the vendors. But if anyone, you know, it, as you know, just owning a house, sometimes vendors get stuck at other jobs. And so they aren't able to keep as much of a punctual time frame. Um, and or sometimes they have to reschedule for like the next day. So in order to avoid having that kind of confusion, it's nice to have a property management team. Um, plus, you need to think about, you know, you should always have a lease on your building. You know, so you own it in, you know, in an LLC that's separate from your practice, but your practice should always pay, um, should always pay rent. I think a couple of reasons for that is because your practice has to pay rent no matter what. Um, and I think keeping that 
cost in your practice helps you, you know, manage your operation better. Because if you're, if you're running your practice with zero rent, um, you know, it, and then all of a sudden you have to pay rent, you know, it could really hurt your practice. And then, um, you know, you want to have really good property accounting because your operating expenses um, affect the value and you can do different structured leases. You can do triple net full service. So there's a variety of leases that you can do depending on, on how you want to operate the property. But there's just a lot to, to do and manage on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, quarterly basis, annual basis. And depending on how much free time you want to devote to that, you know, you could be seeing patients all day, which is already, you know, mentally, emotionally, and physically taxing, and then having to go home and, you know, spending several hours managing your real estate. And, uh, you know, so if you don't want to do that, I recommend hiring professionals that can do that from eight to five. And then maybe, you know, you're having to make decisions, but you get home and you can look through your email and, you know, there's different pieces of information with different decision points that you need to make. And it's, it's pretty seamless after that. So I think for what our, what I'm hearing, and I think our physician listeners will, will punctuate on this is there's a, there's a learning curve to this, that when you come out of medical school and you've been 20 years into practice, you know, medicine like that, you, that's your thing. But then you suddenly say the opportunity comes in to buy the building or to, you know, use some investment money that you've saved to buy an investment property. There's, you know, just getting simple advice from a peer who may have done it well or done it poorly. Uh, that's where folks like yourself will come in. Our guest today is Trisha Tal Talbot. She is with Doc Properties. So in that line of thinking, how do you select? How does a physician select a real estate advisor? And how is that different from a commercial broker? Or is it the same thing? Um, talk to us a little bit about some of that, those terms, but unpack that for us. Thanks. Sure. So it, it, it is, it's a commercial real estate broker, um, but I specialize in, in healthcare and I, I, really work with physicians or investors that are, are specifically focused on the medical office asset class or healthcare asset class. So it's, it's different than um, traditional office. Obviously it's different than land and retail. Um, but a lot of physicians, you know, I've done land, I've done retail, all representing physicians because, you know, there are some practices that like to go into retail um, and, you know, there's, there's lenders, there's developers, there's architects, there's contractors that specifically work in the healthcare asset class. You know, if you're going to build a, a medical building, you definitely don't want it to be with somebody's first time. There's just a lot involved. You have to have certain parking requirements, ADA requirements, and it that differs among municipalities. So you really want somebody that is used to doing, you know, the, the detailed work that's involved so that you don't end up making some really expensive mistakes. There's JV partners, you know, if you have a, if you want to, you know, get value in the building, but be more passive, but still have an investment in the property, there are JV partners that will put up the capital for a development, and then you're a limited partner. So you do get you know, some investment from that as well. And they specifically uh, 
are attracted to the healthcare community just because, you know, they're like I, we were talking about earlier, you know, healthcare is mission driven and um, mission critical and demand driven. And so these people, these tenants are, you know, dependent on these buildings. They're developed for a purpose. So there are people, you know, that are solely concentrated on the asset class just because, you know, if you're, if a practice is successful in a location, they typically don't move very often. Well, let's talk a little bit about the trends that you're seeing and you're bumping into because, you know, that, that might impact where you are telling physicians where to diversify, where to invest, Mm -hmm. what to invest in. You know, COVID has changed a lot. A lot of things have gone mobile, but yes, it is, you know, you, you do have to come in for the physical, but at the same time, you know, the, the consumer, the patient, I always say, I'm not a physician, but I am a patient. So I know what it's like to sit on the other side of you. And a lot of younger generation, you know, teens, they're making completely different, you know, the, the college ages, ages are making completely different decisions. Healthcare wise, they're wanting to communicate through a HIPAA compliant app. So, you know, they don't have to visit the doctor's office as much, you know, you can't always just have a 60 plus patient demographic audience that you're serving that you expect to come in all the time, you're, they will eventually age as well. And you'll, they'll always need to come in, but at the same time, they're, they're not always going to be the primary audience in maybe a local community. So maybe the community demographics start changing. You start to get a lot more younger people in. So I, all of that to say, I want you to touch on some of the trends that you're seeing, um, you know, related to retail healthcare, uh, is that a, a, a good place to be looking into? Are you seeing some of that? But also, um, you know, Medtail, uh, explain to, to the yeah. physicians listening what Medtail is. And then we've had some conversations with different, you know, commercial brokers and physicians over the years of, you know, that trend that was big in the 80s of, and it kind of recirculated about 10 years ago again of, taking mall real estate. Cause what happened to malls? Right. <laughs> like I got to believe that they're going to come back one day, right. They're going to come back. We're all going to want to go inside you know, and do <laughs> shopping. But um, nonetheless, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about maybe is those that real estate is changing. So I'm unpacking a lot here. Um, right. I want you to, to just jump in. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll start unpacking a little bit. So I think, you know, depending on your patient demographic, if you do serve, you know, everyone, so let's say pediatric, we'll we'll carve pediatrics out, but let's say everyone from 18 to, you know, 80. Um, If that is your patient base, then I think you have to be a practice that um, I I think one bent, you know, if if anything good came out of COVID, I, I think the advent of telemedicine, because I do feel like, telemedicine can be used as a very productive tool. It can be, you know, if you're, if it, you know, you can, you know, an initial evaluation instead of going in um, and just basically doing a meet and greet, you could just say, Hey, this is why I'm calling. This is what I'm going to be coming in for. If it's serious, if it's not serious, you know, if it's routine, you know, then the, I think it can also help and, and, um, organize the physician's time. And this can be done with like a nurse practitioner or a PA or even, you know, where, um, you know, they can sort of help the diagnostic 
process and say, okay, doctor, this, this person, is, this is just a routine visit. You're going to need, you know, 15 minutes. This is going to be more in depth. So we're going to need to maybe, you know, make it longer. I think it can help organize the, the practice resources and level of license of the practitioner that's needed to address them. So, you know, I think, um, I think nurse practitioners and PAs for, for, um, for a lot of routine cases, such as like strep throat or sinus infections or, you know, bumps and bruises and that sort of thing. I think they can be the initial, uh, the initial introduction into the practice and, and what resources are, are going to be needed. Sometimes tests need to happen before a doctor can really, you know, diagnose. So a nurse practitioner can meet with somebody and then, you know, order some tests and then, um, and then, uh, be able to schedule a visit with the with the physician. So, so I think that is great. Also, sometimes for some post op, if you know, depending on the level of severity or the provider's preference, you know, some post op uh, routine visits might be able to be held through telemedicine. But it's it's the ones in between where um, you know they require a physical examination that has to be done in an office, but I think the telemedicine can be used, you know, before and after that. So I think as we're, you know, also trying to, you know, manage healthcare costs, I think that, I think you can serve different patient bases. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of now, you know, electronic medical records are, are helpful for some patients, but the older patients are, you know, it's a little more challenging to, to um, get them on board. But once they are, they seem to like it from what I can tell, obviously that's a gross generalization. Um, but as you know, you're starting to serve the, the younger demographic, I think you have to set up your communication, where, you know, a lot of that stuff will just be in the electronic medical records, and they'll get used to going in. And maybe you can even say, okay, now it's time to schedule a visit. And there's like, you know, thinking in the future, here's a way to, you know, schedule a visit, I do see the younger generation um, being, I think, holding healthcare providers more accountable to time sensitivities. I think if, you know, they, they probably less apt to want to be sitting in an office for an hour and a half waiting for a visit to be seen. Um, so I think you will, you know, your practice will have to um, be aware of the demographic that you're trying to serve. But, um, you know, I think a lot of good can come out of this with the way that um, practices are operated. You know, I think there can be, um, video tutorials, there could be, you know, different information, you know, how a doctor likes to, you know, give information sometimes at, at exams where they can do it all online and the patient can go later and, you know, read all of the, the information that the doctor is suggesting, maybe do some um, educational videos on, you know, whatever their related problem is. Um, if they're in cancer, like if they have, if they have something as severe as cancer or dialysis, maybe set up some support groups virtually. So, um, you know, I, I do see this, this, I'm going on off on a tangent of, of real estate, but as far as telemedicine, that's where I think it can be as far as trends in real estate, Medtail is definitely, um, so in Medtail and malls. So with malls, um, we'll start there. I think it's a great, what I, I think adaptive reuse is happening in a lot of cases. Um, I did an adaptive reuse at a former grocery store. Um, I think malls can offer a, a lot to very large healthcare organizations. I th and I think you have to be, um, you have to be aware of the patient you're serving and you have to be 
mindful of patient dignity. So with the mall, if they take the whole mall over, I think that's good. And if it's, you know, kind of in different practices or in the mall, I think it's hard to integrate some practices, you know, if you're going to be having, um, you know, a lot of retail, but you could do like a mall and a med spa and, you know, like a gym or sorry, you could do a practice. You could take a mall and put a healthcare practice, like a med spa and a gym, maybe, and put them all together. I think you just have to be mindful on how you fill that in because you don't want a really sick patient who's clearly not feeling well, have to be like going through a mall full of, you know, people that are there just to shop and have fun. Um, so I think you just have to be mindful of that. But I, I do think that it, it can be adaptively reused if, uh, if you do it well. And then MedTail has been a trend for, for quite some time because retail offers parking and visibility that medical practices need. And I think uh, for private practice physicians, especially, um, you know, visibility is key. And, you know, being along a major drive corridor is key. A lot of dentists know this, and you'll see a lot of dentists are on some major thoroughfares. Um, but I, I, I think if, uh, you know, as more doctors become more entrepreneurial and, and more on the private practice, you, that the location is going to be key. You've seen this even with some hospitals where they've done this hub and spoke. So a uh, a regional hospital will put like an urgent care in a community. Well, you see, if you notice, a lot of these are just on like major corners and that's because they want the patients to find them pretty easy. Plus, you know, they're serving urgent care, primary care, you know, if they are needed people, they want people to remember where they are. Yeah. It seems as though whenever you, you think about going to see a doctor, the first thing you think about is, okay, where is it? How easy is it to find? And it's never <laughs> easy to find. It's always in some suite with about seven point font, you know, <laughs> listed in near the elevator. And you're like, and it's a, just a laundry list of names. And you're like, I hope she or he is on it. And then you find it and you're like 207 E and you're like, mm -hmm. and you're walking down these commercial hallways that are not well lit, not well advertised. You know, you're passing by seven bathrooms on your way over and you know, different offices. And then once you walk into the suite, finally you've arrived and it's not the oasis that we, that we sought. It's this drab, you know, I could show you a picture of something from today that looked this probably the same in 2002 as it did in 1991. And are you seeing that, you know, that that visibility is changing uh, among you know, the clients that you work with? I mean, not that they're wanting to invest in those, but from a perspective of the individual physician saying, you know, this, this office park that I'm buried in building 800, you know, suite 8074, you know, fifth floor, I've, we've got to change something like that. And I know this is, this is pretty nitpicky, but from mm -hmm. a patient perspective, how many patients are you making go through this process? Because it's never, ever easy to, th to think about going to see a doctor's office. So just tell us about what you're seeing. And if you're thinking, no, it really isn't changing. They're not adapting. <laughs> Again, I think you have to, so if you're a hospital based or hospital owned practice, then hospitals typically, you know, they'll own some medical buildings and fill them up with the practices that they own. And that's what you see, you know, 
um, the traditional medical office with the long hallway and everyone looks the same and, and you, you know, you just go by suite number. So I think that, um, you know, if you're a hospital owned practice, that's, you know, you go where the hospital tells you for the most part. Um, if you're private practice, I do see them, I, the requirements for a lot of my private practice is visibility and they want ease of access for their patients. They don't want their patients to have to go through a, a hallway. And that's why you see um, a lot of build the suit developments because they can't find what they want. And, you know, that might be one to five practices. They all want to have exterior um, entrances where patients can park and then just walk right in where they can have their own signage and branding on the property. I mean, you'll see there's some, there's some clinics um, that are actually built with the brand already in place. You, you go by and you know what it is because they, they've, they've built the property with that particular brand. So again, I think um, I do see private practice physicians wanting more ease for patients, more visibility, ease of access, being located in an easy to find location for their, for their patients, because that's, if they can't attract patients, then they're not going to be successful. The hospital, they're uh, based um, or owned uh, practices, they typically, you know, are insurance based. So, you know, they drive patients to them. Well, our guest today is Trisha Talbot, and she is the managing partner at Doc Properties. And so our next question, um, we have three more questions for you. Um, how do I, as a physician, um, but I'm, I'm not a physician, I already right. clarified that, but I'm asking from the listener's perspective, how do I understand the value of my medical facility? That you have to get in touch with a broker because you need to understand lease rates. You have to understand cap rates. Um, you have to have somebody walk through, give you some opinions and maybe even some estimates on, you know, improvements that you need to do or that, you know, they can recommend that they recommend, like you said, some spaces are older than others. So they're going to value differently. Um, so, you know, it, there's a lot that goes into an evaluation, the existing tenants and leases that you have in place need to be reviewed. Obviously, you can't, there's landlord and tenant law, you can't just kick out tenants because they're not paying market rent, you know, you have to wait for those leases to, you know, expire. So there's, there's a lot involved in valuing it. There's not just a one size fits all. And then, um, you know, so, so you have to, you have to hire somebody to give you an opinion and appraisers, um, you know, a lot of people think that, that the, that appraisers can do this. And, um, I guess it depends on the appraiser that you hire, but typical appraisers just sort of do a high, in my opinion, a high level overview of the property and comparables. But when you get in there and say, Hey, here's what the as is, is here's, here's where it can be. And, um, you know, and there's different strategies that can improve the value versus others. I don't know that appraisers touch on, on strategy as much. They just sort of give you kind of a snapshot of the current as is. Um, so it just depends on, you know, your, your goal for the property. Um, but I've, I've seen some appraisals and even the income approach, um, I wouldn't necessarily as a broker agree on their analysis because as a broker, I would do things a little bit differently. 
in order to um, improve the outcome. Our next uh, second to last question is how and when and how do I sell and when do I sell my medical practice? Like, is it, is it going to take me a month? Is it going to take a year? Do I need to make all these improvements and put all this more money into it? I'm just ready to get rid of it. Or, you know what, I'm re- I am ready to invest a little bit in it to get the maximum value. What does that process look like? How do I start and when's the appropriate time? Sure. So um, medical office, the value of it is the uh, is really the tenants inside. And that's what the, the buyer market for the asset class is really looking at. So um, I, you know, I do recommend that you, you strategically time it in a few different ways. Obviously, market fluctuations, you want to obviously sell at the top of a market versus the bottom or, you know, the middle, but not at the bottom. You want to make sure that the, the, lease terms on your leases are, I would say at least, you know, five years on average, you know, maybe some a little bit shorter, but I wouldn't, um, it's really hard to find value in a building that has a lot of month to month leases. Um, And if there's some deferred maintenance, you know, there are investors that will, they call it value add. So they'll they'll buy a property that has issues, but they're not going to, you know, they're going to pay a discounted rate for your property. So again, I think you have to get somebody to evaluate it and give you the options, give you the costs of options and the different ways that those will affect the value so that somebody can make a decision. So our last question for you, well, it's the second to last question, because I always ask another question to all of our guests, but <laughs> how do I purchase a medical office? What, what's my first couple of steps of, you know what, I'm ready. I, I don't own any property other than my home, but I'm ready to, to take the plunge. And I think that I, I just, I'm hearing things from my peers, my colleagues. I think it's the right time to do this. And, you know, people might say, well, no, now everything's super high. It's not a great time, you know, and then you're like, well, I guess I'll wait another seven years before I explore this opportunity again. And we know that real estate usually continues, it fluctuates, but it usually on trajectory will go up and up and up. So what your home was worth 24 years ago or what your medical office was worth back then, you know, it probably hasn't gone down, you know, hopefully, but what's that process? Um, of how do I purchase a medical office? How does that begin? Well, first I would do it. You know, I tell, I, I think you have to have some runway. So, you know, I would say three years before your lease runs out, just so that you can capture all of the options that are available in the market and then have the time because real estate is never a straight line. That's why there's real estate professionals. Cause uh, I'm in all the deals that I've done, nothing has been exactly the same. Um, so, and, so just so for the, for the clarity of the, of the yeah. listeners, we all get the advice and we've all read, read out there and we'll hear, and you'll hear from, from, from experts, just take a leap, just do it, you know, <laughs> just take the plunge. And what you're saying is, because I heard this the other day, you know, don't take a leap, build a runway because gravity doesn't really work like that. Like it doesn't like stop you and say, okay, you took the leap and now we're going to pause while you're in midair, you know, and we're going to get to all the planning process. So I'm glad that you, you said that because I think that it's so it, it just slow down, take a breath, build that runway 
do your homework because there's a tendency for doctors as thrifty as they are, because everybody's trying to, you know, take advantage of them because they think that they all have this huge amounts of money and some do, but for the most part, most of them are very, very thrifty and, you know, they want to make wise decisions, but at the same time, you know, they'll choose the cheapest place in, in the local community to open a practice, which is kind of like, what we've been talking about, like that's maybe not the best decision. So I'm sorry, you continue. No, no, that's fine. Yeah. So, so having runway, I think is good because it is a big decision and it is a lot to think about. And, you know, I have received those calls where someone's like, you know, my lease is ending in 60 days. I need to find a new home. And it's like, you know, I don't even think, I, I don't even think you can go and tour and, you know, have a lease negotiated by typically, you know, two attorneys in, 60 days. I mean, you may get lucky. I mean, that's a needle in a haystack, but you know, you're also depending on a broker having nothing else to do and only being able to help you, which is rarely the case. And if so, it is the case, that's, you know. So to put a pin in that for a second, cause I don't want to jump yeah. off that lily pad. I think that what, what I'm hearing that's typical scenario, which is probably common among a lot of <laughs> physicians and professionals is right. It's not as it's not like buying a home where you can, okay, I sold the house. I got to be out in 30 days or 60 days. Like you can't find a place in commercially that's that that you will have done your due diligence. Yeah, you can right. probably find something. It probably just won't be good or great. Right. Right. That's exactly right. And then if you so and that's just, I mean, that's just on the leasing side. I mean, if you're now wanting to purchase a property or in, or there's there might not even be any inventory, you might have to you might have to build something. Um, then you have to go find land and land is typically bought in large chunks, but doctors don't need large chunks. So then you got to go and find, you know, a small chunk of land. Um, so there's just a lot of, there's a lot of different avenues to go and solve the problem and, and doing it, doing it in a haphazard ad hoc way is typically expensive. Um, because there's lots of errors or you have to pay, you know, for, for not having time. Um, so I do recommend that they have a runway. I do, you know, I, um, cause also you, you can't be homeless. So these, you know, the, depending on how leases were negotiated, they may or may not have a holdover. Um, you know, you could literally be homeless in 60 days in some of that situation. And, and as you know, it, you have to be able, like I said, you have to be able to practice in a building and see patients. So, so it's important that you approach real estate, in my opinion, as um, a proactive rather than reactive. Reactive is typically expensive and you don't get what you want. I love that. That's so, so helpful. I think if, if they've learned anything from this today, because there's a lot here, I think it's to... <laughs> be proactive, not reactive. Cause there is a tendency for all of us in, especially in real estate. Like if I don't, if I don't jump on this opportunity, somebody else is going to get it and it's going to go so fast, you know, and there is that, that fear and that, that human nature to, to think that way. Um, so our final question, well, you know, just, just, can I ask, can yeah. I inter interject on that for just a second? So that's, I, I feel like that that way of thinking is the same as you can approach the stock market. So if you approach the stock market with short-term mindset like that and try to time the market, 
unless you're sitting in front of a computer all day watching, watching, you know, ticker symbols, I think it's um, incredibly stressful. And I don't know that it's very successful. Um, I mean, you might have short bursts of success, but from a, from a long-term standpoint, I don't know that it gets you necessarily any further than coming up with a long-term plan, unless you're a stockbroker. Um, you know, it's the same thing with real estate. I mean, there are opportunities where you can take advantage of the market and that's always the goal, even, you know, even no matter what, but if you're waiting to, um, always, always hit it big in real estate instead of having a long-term goal. And then as you know, and then looking at the real estate on an annual basis, and if it's the time, if it makes sense to sell it, then you sell it. And if you don't, you hold on to it. You know, you you make that decision every year. I think you'll find that you're going to to make money on real estate. Yeah. Well, our final question with Trisha Talbot, and she is the managing partner at Doc Properties. Um, I'll, I'll have you give your uh, how do people get in contact with you? Um, what's the first step that they need to take with you? Should they have anything prepared, or the, should they just come with their city, state, and zip? <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm interested. I, I want to move. I want to, I want to do something. Um, you know, I want to look at something. Do, you know, do I need to, does it need to be my same location, my locale? Um, or, you know, do you, do you help clients like, oh, I, I'm a physician in Scottsdale, but I want to buy something in Texas. Cause that's where my mom lives, you know, and I just want it as an investment property, you know, how do they contact you? What's the first sure. couple steps they need to prepare? Sure. Um, so they can go to my website. It's easy. Docproperties.com there. Um, they can, um, they can find an email address, phone number, and then they can also schedule a call with me. Um, if they're looking to purchase in a specific municipality, I have a national network of brokers that I can refer them to. Um, you know, I can help them with their overall strategy and then, um, and then help, you know, in the low and then refer to a local broker for the transaction. Um, selling, I, again, I have my broker network. So there I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of work on the strategy side and then, um, you know, I'm able to package the properties. And to, again, with my network of brokers able to transact um, in different locations. So, so a good place to start is with a call or, you know, uh, scheduling a strategy call, kind of finding out what they're looking for and then going from there. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.